Hello and welcome to episode 7 of The Little Chapters. I'm Kate and here is Jess. Hello. (laughs) So this week we are talking about money and I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that when we were first setting up the podcast this was a question that people kind of said, well, talk about money and it's something that I get as well as a business coach where people they don't ever want to publicly ask about money but they do then send a dm or answer in stories question saying asking about it and I think the reason it's all quite underhand (laughs) and whispered and it's something that's not talked about a lot certainly in the kind of circles that we move in what do you think about money yeah, I, I agree. I'm I'm silenced because it makes <laughs> makes me feel it makes me feel awkward. Mm. It makes me feel awkward, but it's something that shouldn't make me feel awkward, and it's something that I don't think any of us should feel awkward about. And I think it's something that we need to talk about more, especially as women. But it is so taboo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is so taboo. Why? Why? Why do you think it's such a a non talked about thing it's something that I think is very there's obviously a lot of heaviness in terms of society what everybody's always done you know probably people's parents who didn't talk about money much because it wasn't the done thing um so there's a lot of hangover from that but I also think there's probably elements of that it's also not feminine in inverted commas to talk about it and I think as well that we operate in a very creative space and there is also this myth that creatives shouldn't care about money and that it should all be about the art and nobody wants to admit to being motivated by money I mean that's something that I wore as a badge of honor for a long time that I wasn't motivated by money and I only cared about the work and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it wasn't until I started working for myself that I realised that money can be quite motivating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really weird thing. There are kind of, there are so many unwritten rules, aren't there, about money and what you should talk about and what you shouldn't talk about, what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate. I mean, it's it's interesting that you said about growing up and how parents didn't talk about money my mum never stopped talking about Mm. money when I was growing up it was very much a thing what I mean kind of publicly so not within the family but like to oh no I think she'd talk about it oh (laughs) (laughs) I think my mum would talk to anyone about money she still does now but very much when I was younger because we didn't have any you know we were a one-parent family, as my mum used to say it. And, yeah, we didn't have any money, so it was it was a big deal. Mm. We used to talk about it all the time. I actually wonder if that's a thing. Like, if if when you don't have as much of it, you talk about it more. Yeah, and then when you do have more of it, you're not supposed to talk about it at all. Mm. I don't know. And I don't know also whether there is a geographical difference here as well. Because, I mean... North-South. Yeah, well, I know Dan's family, I mean, talk about nothing but money still. Are they North? Yeah, Midlands North, yeah. yeah. Whereas for... <laughs> we all talk about money in the North. Whereas for us, it was like, I never went without, but I was an only child and there's absolutely no way if there'd been another sibling 
we'd have done half the things that we did do. And it's only now that I'm beginning to realise just how much my parents sacrificed for me during my childhood. But it is, it's more of an affluent area where I'm from, but there are real pockets of poverty. I mean, it's kind of historically a very farming community that has been gentrified essentially it's within reach of London so you get a lot of commuter families and things like that okay so but my family have lived there for like hundreds and hundreds of years (laughs) and actually my my grandmother used to do some family history and she went back to like the 1500s and every single generation had been a farmer before my parent my mum's generation so yeah I think what I'm trying to say is that it was that you try and kind of put a sheen on it and you don't want people to know that you're struggling and it's not anybody's business to know that and you keep very much this is our business and we keep it close but mm-hmm. then again that might just be as we discussed an introvert thing that that oh, was maybe. that was how my parents talked about it because they <laughs> didn't talk to other people much anyway <laughs> yeah yeah, maybe maybe it is an introvert thing. Mm. My mom, I've said before, is the ultimate extrovert. She she wants to come on the podcast, by the way, to, to <laughs> in true extrovert style to talk about what it's like to now finally understand introverts <laughs> as an extrovert. Bonus episode. She's always, she wants to be a guest. <laughs> but no, my mom talked about money nonstop. I think about my grandparents. They. Yeah, I, th- I think they talked about it quite a bit, but it was it was more the very much not having it, which is why we used to talk about it so much. And it, it's it's interesting that you said about the the other approach of the not talking about it at all, keeping it very all under wraps. Because I, as a kid, I was very much in between those two worlds because Mum talked about it all the time, and I, I was very aware, that, you know, that we didn't really have much but in the same breath we had horses Mm. which you're not supposed to have if you don't have any money but you know my mum my my mum would um, remortgage the house again as soon as she could so that we could have Mm. horses that was like her monetary you know that was her goal that's what she wanted to spend her money on and she worked two NHS jobs to be able to do that and then when you're when you're in a horsey world and you don't have much money, you're very aware of how much money everyone else has. Mm, mm. (laughs) So I very much grew up a bit disjointed and feeling a bit like I was in a world of money where I perhaps didn't really belong. So I think that's definitely affected my relationship with money now. And you know what? This is just really making me think of what we spoke about last week with clutter, that that Mm -hmm. makes sense then that you had the shopping habits that you did because that's how it was in your family whereas for me like we all like we just went without like it was never we'll try and get it it's like no my parents are very very cautious with money um so that's where my underbuying definitely comes from because you just don't buy stuff you just make do with what you've got yeah yeah, see, my mum was, we were just the opposite. My mum wanted me to have absolutely everything and anything that I wanted. My birthday, well, just gone the other day, 31 now, <laughs> for my birthday is in January. So it was really close to Christmas. And, you know, the first thing that she'd say to me after I don't know what my presents on Christmas Day was, did you get everything you wanted? 
if you didn't get if there's something that you didn't get that you wanted you'll have it for your birthday mm. so she just she wanted me to have everything but then you know my mum was very much single mum on her own no child support or anything like that so I think she had that desire to provide rightly mm. so mm. But where does this actually then take us with people talking about money online? <laughs> money online? Right, in terms of like now now we're grown up and thinking about like why we don't talk about it now generally as a society or as a smaller microcosm of society online. Well, and maybe this is it. Maybe our two different experiences. Maybe there's not one language in which to talk about this so whichever yeah. way you go in to talk about it it's gonna rile someone up or it's gonna upset someone else and it's not open enough for it to be I don't know for there to be one homogenous way of talking about it that makes so much sense because when I think I, I'm fine with talking about money with people that I trust but I wouldn't talk to a stranger about it and I guess where that comes from is what we were just talking about is all the stuff that you grow up with. So my fear is very much judgment. I'm really worried about what other people will think, what other people will say if I if I were to talk about money. And it's a combination of I didn't feel why sort of you know never having enough money, which will probably stem from when I was younger. And then that worry, I have a worry about people thinking I've got too much, mm, which then that, opens yeah. up the whole privilege debate where yeah that that's a real fear of of judgment so that would that stops me in my tracks from talking about money that's enough <laughs> yeah yeah no and I was the same that because and especially because of the work that I do is like with individuals whether on courses or through coaching or whatever that I have the the worry that if I talk about the money that I've made people will think well, she doesn't need my money. <laughs> she's got she's got plenty. She doesn't need mine as well. And that it will, would really put people off if I was to talk about it. Mm. Did you read the Jen... I can't pronounce the last name like I want to. Sincero? Sincero, I think it's... Sincero, yeah. you know the one I mean. Don't you? You're a badass at making money. Yeah, I read like She talks it. about... <laughs> I'm thinking... I'm just thinking about... You'll have got into the bit then when she talks about everyone's... That we have this weird relationship with money and that we we think of it as... We think of it too much. Mm. And it's not really as as big a deal as what it, you know, what it has to be. But again, oh, saying things like that, it just opens up that whole privilege thing. Like, yeah, money's no big deal when you've got loads of it. But when you haven't, it's a big deal. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know if that, I don't know if that is valid, but it's very, the last situation someone would ever want to get in, I think, is, is that being judged. Because mm. I want to pick up on what you're saying about the privilege thing, because it, it obviously is difficult for people who don't have a, a lot of money and when we moved we used the minimal savings we had which I think it was like maybe a thousand pounds we had in savings we used all that to move so to put the deposit on the place that we rent to hire a van buy I think we needed some sort of furniture that we actually really did genuinely need so all that and then so by the time I, when I started my business I had no savings and I had my last paycheck Oh wow! I didn't. I see. I didn't know this. Yeah. So we, Dan was earning, but he wasn't 
earning huge, huge amounts. So our salaries halved and although our rent had halved, you know, things like internet and bills and stuff were all the same. So yeah, this business very much started from like, I can't afford to pay my car payment next month unless I do something. And so in this way, I do feel like money is, I don't want to be too dramatic, a tool of oppression that people think they can't do things because of money Whereas money isn't money is nothing, and this is this is the big thing that I learn. I think that all the time that the money side, I can talk myself out of trying or doing most things because of the money side of it. Mm. So that makes a lot that really resonates with me. And we're we're sort of taught that money is finite because we get X amount in our paycheck every month, and that's that's all we get. That's that's all the money that there's is there for us. Well, that's the employed experience isn't it yeah but then that's what we've everybody's always grown up with everybody is taught to enter that world of work where you get your number that is your value and that's it whereas working for myself it suddenly became very like that there is no ceiling here the only ceiling is one that I was putting on for myself and that actually when I took that off like why why can't I make more money than this the only thing stopping me before was the fact that I was in a job that was only willing to pay me so much. Whereas mm-hmm. if I can go and and start something else, there the, that ceiling's gone. So I totally get that it's difficult to start from that feeling of there's not enough money. I need the money. I can't do it without the money. Like that scarcity, and that you think you need the job for the security to get the money. Like actually, in some ways, the job is keeping you in that position because it's stopping Mm. your options from going and getting money in a different way no that makes so much sense and it's that whole operating from a place of scarcity as opposed to a place of abundance Mm. isn't it Mm -hmm. so with regard to you know growing up were you were you taught how to manage money was that a thing or have you had to fathom that out on your own and do you manage your money in the same way that your parents do? I don't know how my parents manage their money. Oh, well, no, you won't because they don't talk Yeah, about exactly. It. It, that was the thing. The only, when I think about like money and the lessons from youth, um, it was like, don't buy stuff <laughs> and work really, really hard. Like that was the two, the two lessons on money is that money mm-hmm. comes from really hard work and it's hard to get and then Mm. once you've got it you've got to hold on to it so don't buy stuff keep it safe so that's quite a scarcity Mm. thing isn't it yeah and I think that's where a lot of my own ceiling came from is that I've written about this in a blog post but that even when I started the business I started the business hoping to maybe earn less than I currently was in my full-time job because it felt like with mine it felt like it was too much of an ask, you know, there's only so much money and why should I be able to get it? And But then it was hearing Sarah talk about the fact that she'd earned six figures that I, it was suddenly like, oh, hold on. The only- Talking about, just to, oh, for yeah. anyone who doesn't know Sarah, we mean <laughs> Sarah Tasker Sarah Tasker. of Leonola. Yeah, she's- I'm guessing that's who you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's funny enough. Um, but yeah, she spoke about how she'd earned six figures and that was- I mean, we can get into the reactions to that. But for me, my reaction to that was like, oh, wow, hang on. 
why can't I do something like that? And that was when I, it really like dawned on me that all of my thinking about money was absolutely from my own head. And like, yeah, why can't I go on and do that? Or, Which or is a much more abundant I I sh- mindset. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I know not everybody had that reaction to that post. Well, this is what we mean by the judgment side of it, because a lot of people can, and probably people with a more scarcity mindset or people who don't have the privilege of you know intelligence or physical Mm -hmm. privilege to be able to start their own business the business that they want to start will feel differently to that Mm -hmm. because they'll feel like well that can't be me and then it's very easy for, you know, the judgment side of it to to creep in. I feel like talking about money and how much money you make, it really depends on who you're talking to, but it can, op- it can make you very, very vulnerable. Mm. In some circles, I feel like it can glorify you because, I mean, I think about Jay, he works in the finance sector. So the more money you make, the bigger pedestals, yeah. you know, people put you on. Um, whereas you think about maybe this is more of a creative community or maybe it's even a female thing. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. But sometimes it can glorify you to talk about how little yeah. you've got. It's very strange, mm. isn't it? Yeah. It's a very, very strange thing. It's very uncertain. And I think that's probably the reason that we don't talk about it as much. But I think going back to what you said earlier, which was, really interesting about the taboo around wanting to make money Mm -hmm. there is definitely a lot of of taboo around that did you read the the study that the harvard business review did i think it was harvard business review did we'll have to put a link to it in the show notes it's um it was a study that was done about how basically well the results were up to an amount of sixty thousand dollars you are increasing the value of your your life. So you're adding mm. to your life. That that money actually does something for you. It adds value. It, it adds, you know, comfort, security, and happiness. But above that figure, it actually doesn't add anything, is what they got to. And that was in dollars. So mm. I'm not sure what that would translate to in That's maybe 40k, 50k. Yeah. But that underpins the whole argument of, you know, especially around this privilege thing of when you haven't got it, it matters. Mm. And by God, does it matter? Mm. And then the more you have, people tend to think it shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of this level, isn't there, of a place where you need to get to. And then I guess beyond that, you're incredibly, incredibly privileged. Mm. <laughs> But I thought that study was really, really interesting because I'm someone who can often feel like I should say that I want to earn more than I do. That's interesting. Why do you feel you should? Because I think it's a a thing at the minute. And I, I can often, like Jason is the breadwinner in our marriage and I can often feel a bit ashamed of that. Mm. It feels, oh, it feels a bit anti-feminist, like... I worry about the judgment of it. I'm wincing now saying that out loud. But, you know, that is just the way that things are. And I have no desire to be the breadwinner. I have no desire to to strive for 
six figures or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I, I don't think that comes from a place of thinking I don't deserve it or thinking it's not for me. I think it, it comes from a place of I know it won't add the kind of value that I want. Mm. But if it happens, hey, if it happens, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money in the same breath. It's a, it's a really weird, um, it's just a really, really weird thing. But I definitely feel like it's, it's quite, I don't want to use the word trendy, because that makes me sound like an old lady. But it's a bit (laughs) of a trend. Not that there's anything wrong with being an old lady that says trendy. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it feels like there is a trend now where women in particular, especially online, wanting to, you know, start their own business or maybe just moving into a specific career that they want, that they should be wanting gigantic salaries, gigantic sums of money. And I think the whole point of, and this is going into feminism for me, but the whole point of feminism for me is the choice. Mm. That it's great if you want to go out there and earn 100k, 200k, that is fantastic. You go for it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to earn good money. In the same breath, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to earn great money either. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to take that pressure off each other. And just because somebody's doing the one doesn't affect your ability to do the other or your like two individual women doing two individual different things with regards to money like they don't impact each other yeah I think it's we we talked about comparison before but I think money very quickly can open up that that comparison Mm. thing I mean like what does for me what money means for me and it's taken me a long time to to really realize this is it it means choice and it means security Mm. it does not mean success to me at all but it, it it fulfills those two things and that's basically all it does for me. Mm. But that is, I mean, I say it's coming from a place of privilege, but it's also coming from a place of acknowledging that to not have enough would affect. So I don't know if it is really mm. coming from a place of privilege, but that's what money means for me anyway. That's why I want to earn it. Mm. See, that, I think that's interesting. And that if I sit here listening to you and I think very much for me in my head and the way I'm motivated, money means the things that I can do with the money so like I want to earn more money so that I can afford to buy a house like that is probably my biggest priority and this is where my privilege can sneak in because I we own our house Mm. yeah so that's very much a push for me and also that I do quite want to be the breadwinner in my relationship because Dan is a chef and I prefer having him at home (laughs) than out for 18 hours a day and so I quite like the idea of him also just being my in-house chef (laughs) 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 and to pay for that so for me it's money is to fund the things I want to get to but then in the here and now I still have a lot of that protectionism around money like not wanting to buy two of the same book which is very kind of like just it's gonna cost you like six pounds like just do it but then also another side of it is for people outside of my kind of of people I would say get it this whole online business thing so people like family and random builders and (laughs) certain friends the money is a validation of what I'm doing Oh, yeah. I mean, it can be, it can be a great validator, can't it? Yeah. That it's kind of like, 
I don't just sit on the internet all day. I actually made this amount of money, guys. So <laughs> you, you can t- take me seriously as a human being just because I don't have a normal job. Mm. That's that's a place that it goes to as well. And I can always tell when it's there's certain types of people that I'm around that I feel like I've got the number on the tip of my tongue of what I earned because I feel like I have to say it to justify myself. And that that only comes up with external people and nothing to do and not... And it's almost the opposite with people who get it, with people on Instagram or whatever, um, that then I'm like, oh, I don't want to say it because I don't want to be boastful or whatever. Yeah, it's just a really weird thing. Do you feel like you manage your money really well? Because I don't think that's talked about either. Although there are a few good things cut up at the minute. Do you know the financial diet? No. I That's just... a really good website and Instagram account that talks about money in a, in a really good way. I, how do you define money management? Like, well, it must be quite difficult. must be quite difficult for you. I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you don't have a salary, mm-hmm. it's not as easy to manage money because you haven't got that definite amount of money coming in every month you have to see it as a as a bit of a bigger bigger picture but even when I did have it coming in every month from my NHS job I didn't manage it very well then I've had to get much better at at managing money well that's interesting because what I I haven't I mean I have a spreadsheet where I look at what's coming in and what's going out See, a lot of people don't don't have a spreadsheet for money uh, at all. Okay, is that management? But but I don't. Yeah. I'm not very. When you look going really close in on every single detail, like I don't micro. Yeah, I don't like think I spent this much in Tesco's this week as opposed to last week and things like that. Because what I found when I had a salary, so the more I managed the, my money, the more I spent. Ooh. When I'm not conscious of it. Because I'm naturally an underbuyer, yeah. I don't. I, I don't naturally so just go out and buy stuff all the time. So actually, when I'm conscious about it and I'm writing it down on a spreadsheet, I start to feel like I'm. Be- I am being deprived of something, and maybe I should go and spend. Whereas actually, if yeah. I just live my life, I'm very. Mu- I'm always telling myself, "Don't buy it anyway." <laughs> so yeah, the less kind of conscious of it, the better I manage it. I find, and I'm the exact opposite. But I'm an overbuyer. So that this is mind blowing, actually, because I I've gone from sort of two extremes to the other. I never used to manage money at all. I didn't grow up ever learning how to manage it. No spreadsheets or anything like that. But I'm very much a you know I like to feel in control and I like spreadsheets and I like organisation. So it it suits my personality to have a spreadsheet and you know manage it. And I got to the point where I was manage I was over managing things so every time we spent anything I would put it in the in the spreadsheet so I'd have a spreadsheet and I'd list what was coming in at the top and then I'd list all the like essential expenses and then the non-essential ones like Netflix and Amazon you know subscriptions Mm. and stuff like that see I don't have any of that (laughs) you don't have Netflix Uh, I think Dan does I was gonna say how are you gonna watch the Marie Kondo documentary oh god yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah dan does okay you can watch it on his yeah well jason's massive film buff so he'll he couldn't not have netflix but yeah so put all those sort of non-essential spends on there and then every time 
anything got spent in the month, I would put that on the spreadsheet as well. So I could see every single thing. And that was, although it was really time consuming and I think I was over managing things, that's when I was at my best with my money. Mm. Whereas when we moved, everything just went crazy. You know, having to, well, starting out on a bit of a, it wasn't a massive renovation that we've done, but we have changed a lot in the house we wanted Mm. to get it a certain way and we very much factored that into the budget that we had for the house I didn't want to buy somewhere and then have no money to do it Mm. at all but when you do a I've I find especially as an overbuyer when you do a big project like that you can very quickly lose track of your spending and you can lose track of the value of things as well Mm. so you know, when you're having your floor done and it's, a, you know, hundreds of pounds, a takeaway coffee seems like nothing. Mm. So then you just think, oh, yeah, because that, that, you know, that's fine. Yeah, I really want, really want that coffee. So that's fine. It's very easy to fall out of that monitoring things closely. So now I've come back around. I mean, we've just done a, a no spend January, which has been really good. It's actually been a relief where we've we've not spent on anything other than the essentials just to really you know pull on the reins and kind of get back to ground zero Mm. and I've recently read the book An Edited Life by the Anna Edit that's not her full name she has a real name she does have a real name that's her Instagram handle that's what I always think of her as Anna Newton's book (laughs) And she's got a really meaty section in there about budgeting, which I found really helpful. And anyone who struggles with managing money and budgeting, things like that, I'd highly recommend it. And then I was also talking to Kate Flanders the other day, who is incredible with money. Her stuff is fantastic. If go and read all of Kate's Kate's blog. And she was saying about how, yeah, what you know, when you do overmanage it, when you get too obsessed with it it can all become a little bit... It goes back to that place of scarcity. Mm. And what what's a healthier approach, and this really resonated with me, was to see things as a bigger picture. So instead of that, that month to month and this is the finite amount that you've got and that's it, think about things more of like, what's your life costing you on an annual basis, mm. ideally? But you could go in between. You could do, instead of monthly, you could do quarterly, um, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to try that instead because the overmanaging didn't work and the, the no managing at all just does not mm. work for me whatsoever. Even though I do consider myself a very mindful spender. Like I, you know, the whole point of the minimalism thing for me is to ask myself, do I really want this? Is this really going to add value to my life? Yeah, I still definitely need to be monitoring Mm. my money but I guess everyone's different yeah (laughs) I'm the person who was deleting loads of photos off my phone rather than pay to have the extra cloud storage (laughs) and I remember my boss saying I do that no but I didn't even have like it was 79p (laughs) I think I would have done that as well though because I I'd know like stuff like that I know I don't I don't want but this is another thing people are so judgmental about what you spend money on yeah do you find that who do you call people oh anyone friend instagram (laughs) people on instagram people in real life family and and friends i feel like we all have this idea about 
what money should be spent on and what it shouldn't be spent mm. on. And I can sometimes feel guilty about things that I I feel add more value to my life as opposed to to other things. Like, you know, holidays for one. I would rather sacrifice other stuff so that I can have more holidays or just a, a nicer holiday mm. in a year. Whereas a lot of people would frown upon that or see that I was on quite a nice holiday and just assume that I'd got loads of money. Mm. Whereas something like a nice, you know, a bit more mainstream, something like a really nice car where you have the whole monthly payment, that's not for me at all. Mm. I don't mind having, you know, an older an older, very, very non-flashy car that I own so I don't have those those monthly payments. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I guess I do... I didn't tell my mum that I had coaching with Jen because I think she'd have thought that was a waste of money. This is what I must say because I don't want to paint my mum as like some ogre, but I do project a lot of things onto my mum that she doesn't always think. <laughs> I think, oh, my mum will think this, but then she doesn't. But I, so I do say, I do hold back and not saying everything that I spend and what I spend on it and things like if we were to go away, I wouldn't necessarily show what the hotel was because she'd be like, oh, that looks expensive. But otherwise, all I really spend money on is food. <laughs> I just buy food all the time and yeah I actually do quite often throw a few healthy things into my trolley just so the person on the checkout won't judge me (laughs) (laughs) so you're very much more of an earner than you are a spender yes Mm. and I guess that's why I don't manage it as intently because I haven't spent most of what I've earned so I'm in a position now where I do have a good chunk of savings so that I'm not thinking if I don't get paid for a month, that's not the end of the world. Obviously, I worry, but I'm not going to be on my ass if that doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's why the security side of it comes in for me. Mm -hmm. That's very much my goal is to have six months, ideally, of income saved away and a year's tax would make me feel secure. Yeah, that, that I, don't, I don't even need that much, I don't think. And I think because I did have that beginning of, okay, well, I've got, I'm literally starting from zero, maybe even minus zero or minus money. Do you wish that you'd done it differently? Because the, I mean, the advice is always, if you're going to start yeah. your own business or your own venture, that you should have, you know, three to six months at least to yeah. get you through. People always ask me how much should they have saved up? And I... I started in an overdraft. So, you had low, low sort of startup costs though, didn't you? Because it was coaching business. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have to buy in products or open no, a store a shop or anything like that. Yeah. So it's a low cost business. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done it any differently because I wouldn't. I wouldn't if I'd had. I wouldn't have done it if I'd had that six months of savings saved up. Okay, because you'd have felt too comfortable. Yeah. And it, and it is interesting because I would never have thought of myself as somebody who is motivated by desperation. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I expect you to have all those boxes ticked. Yeah. A load of money in the bank before you started your business. Oh, because it happened so quickly that, I mean, I had I had a three-month notice period, but it was like, 
if anybody who doesn't know the story we came on holiday here to wales dan had a job interview accepted the job went back to work handed in my notice and then i had a three-month notice period and then came and started this business so i didn't have any time to set up any savings and also there are there aren't jobs up here really especially i mean if i if i needed to i could have gone and got a waitress job and stuff but i was very much like i've done my time with the waitressing i really want to avoid that and that was a red line for me that i didn't want to cross but yeah i think if i'd had this i wouldn't have pushed it as hard as i did if i'd had a safety net and that's not for everybody. I'm not saying my way is the way. Listen, that's not for me at all. I wouldn't have been able to cope with that because my fear is always the not having enough and not feeling worthy of money. So that would have just completely freaked me out. Um, but I think that's the thing. Because I didn't have the savings, maybe I did think I was more worthy. Mm. That I actually really did need it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think that it ebbs and flows with your certainty. And I think because, and it, it was so out of the frying pan into the fire with me as well that I know that it's very difficult to be sat there with your monthly paycheck and hating your life, but thinking that that security is better. Yeah, and the, the whole, like, I used to get a promotion in the NHS isn't really a promotion. It's like, you know, more work. tiny amount extra <laughs> every month and a shed load more work. Um, and I used to get a few of those and the, the amount would increase. And all I'd ever think was the more this goes up, the harder it's making it for me to leave. Mm. Because the more, you know, the more comfortable you get. You live to your means, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's that's the norm, really. So whatever income you um, you have, you usually live to it. I mean, the book of Michelle Obama, Becoming, which I know is a lot of people are reading right now she talks about this she she got to the point where and she grew up with nothing at all but still made very comfortable she wasn't she was she had a comfortable childhood but they didn't have much money and it got to the point for her where she'd gone after all the money gone after all the success and found herself in a very successful lawyer's job and she had this you know this sort of crisis period where she was asking herself what she wanted to contribute to the world what did she really want to do because it wasn't actually doing it for her and the way that she tackled that was to get rid of all those expenses that were just making up the numbers for Mm -hmm. her to live in those means so she talks about you know the fancy car payment all the subscriptions the health fancy country club subscriptions and memberships that she'd got and she wrote down what her essential expenditure was and then asked herself okay can I manage you know how can I manage on this because what I want to do with my life is is more important Mm. I thought that was a really um, interesting take on it taking it back to the very very bare essentials and obviously netflix wouldn't be in those essentials (laughs) taking it right back to that allowed her the freedom and she did have an element of privilege because she you know she'd been to harvard and princeton for goodness sake i don't think it's difficult to get Mm. I, i mean i don't think it's that difficult to get a job when you've got those kind of credentials but to allow herself to do what she really wanted to do with her life she was prepared to you know really make monetary sacrifices which Mm. is what I think you sometimes have to do but it's not always easy because it's taking you out of your comfort zone isn't it yeah it's and it's taking you out of what's expected of you 
Oh, yeah, massively. Because we are put in these boxes and numbers define us and this our wage is another number that defines our worth and we don't feel like we are able to do that for ourselves that has to be an external decision of what that number is but actually when we define that for ourselves and whether that is the Michelle Obama of I'm not going to let it define me what's going to define me is this and so my number is going to be smaller or whether we actually say you know what I'm worth more than this I'm gonna give me myself my own number and I'm gonna work towards that that I think that's why we have so much fear about it because we don't think it's something that we're allowed to decide for ourselves yeah I I think yeah I definitely agree with that it's a very new thing but I think it's really good to talk about it I mean I read a piece I think it was in New York Times last week it was about the pay gap and about how the way that we get around this horrendous gender pay gap is salary transparency. We actually need to talk about it. We need to put our numbers out there. because, And that's very much the case for the creative community as well, I think, because mm-hmm. there are no pay scales like there are in the NHS. It's all very subjective. And quite often when you're freelance doing photography or writing you, you're bartering for your own worth on a daily basis mm-hmm. and that's quite a can be quite a harrowing experience yeah and it comes back to that whole feeling worthy and then going after what you think you are worth mm. yeah I think that it, and it's being open to even thinking about it I think a lot of people use the oh it's money I can't do it so end conversation and even thinking about this in my own head I'm not even going there but without the conversations how can you break it down exactly exactly so we need to talk about it more yeah we have to be, and the first step of that is being able to think about it more because if you're not even thinking about it yourself and know what how you feel and think about it then how can you join in the conversation and I think that's part of that reaction to Sarah's post is that people are like well no I can't do it but it's you can't do it yet yeah obviously that didn't happen overnight that was like a five-year process but let's open our minds to thinking away from no I can't do it well not going away. I'm not thinking to actually starting to think what if why not because that's where the change can start to happen you know I it took years for people to earn the six figures it took me a year to get to not being in my well didn't take me a year to not being in my overdraft but to to making back the money that I'd made before and it all starts with being open to thinking about money differently and to being open to taking back that control whatever that Mm -hmm. looks like for you but that you have to be in control of your attitude to money and not Mm -hmm. let somebody else dictate to you what that is and this is something that I'm still very much very much working on like I didn't think I could even earn my own money on a be my own boss kind of way for a long, long time. It took brands reaching out to me and people asking me to create things that they felt were worthy of their money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it literally had to bang on my front door for me to accept and even start thinking about maybe this could be a thing. Maybe I can make my own money. Yeah, it's, it's a battle that I, I'm up against daily. But I like what you said about time, and that's definitely true. I mean, I'm nowhere near making the 
money that I made in my old NHS job. And then we've got the whole battle of now I'm not helping Jason with the finance business. Obviously, we're indirectly losing money there, which I'm supposed to be making back up with my own creative work because I'm, well, I'm not helping him. It means he's doing all the stuff that I used to do as well as everything else. And obviously it's thinking about and preparing yourself and being open to that or taking time to adjust. But at the same time, it's reassuring yourself that it it's going to be okay mm-hmm. and it's not definite if things don't necessarily work out you can always change you can always switch things up I don't know money it can feel so rigid can't mm. it it can feel like you said finite definite rigid masculine I want to say yeah. actually and that was one of the things I love about Jen Sincero's book where and she talks it's about it it's worth reading yeah she talks about it as just existing and it has more of a flow to it and one thing that was really helpful for me actually was when she talked about that when somebody pays you you're not taking their money the money just comes to you through them there's not your pile of money and my pile of money and that person's pile of money like money just exists and it moves around through people and that's what I was thinking of too I remember you telling that you told me about that and that's what made me buy the book oh yeah and I did enjoy it I read it really really genuine influence (laughs) (laughs) it is good it can get quite woo woo which I always like. I love the woo-woo. It talks about law of attraction and stuff like that, which I know not uh, not everybody agrees with, but it's a good book and it can undo a lot of stories that you've been telling yourself about money since you were small. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could talk about this for ages. <laughs> There's just so much into it, but I think the, I think the takeaway now that I seem to apparently be making us do takeaways, which we also, we set out that I wasn't allowed to do that because this we is what I No do. takeaways allowed. Okay, let's do a conclusion. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> like, just loosen your shoulders around it, start to think about it and investigate it and just mull over what you really think about it and don't bring down the portcullis on the money conversation because there's more options than we think there are I guess Mm. do you talk about how much you earn publicly nope no I don't either I'd like to get to that point yeah but I also feel like I'm worried about what the reception would be and are we in a place where I feel safe to do that yeah yeah no me too me too but I think starting to have conversations about it is only a good thing Mm mm-hmm Okay, so let's now visit the Little Chapters post box, which gives Jess a little squeal every week. (laughs) I feel like we might need a little jingle for the post box. It deserves its own little little bit of music. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm not on board with the jingle. Anyway. (laughs) You can sing it. Um, No, thanks. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to Jan's question. So Jan has asked... How does one let go of the past and move on from situations that have caused enormous grief and heartache, not just for weeks, but for years? Is being happy a choice? Can you put the past in another country, so to speak, and box it up and move on? How do you do that? Any ideas? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's a big question. Mm-hmm. There are questions within that question. Yeah, so like, it's just, it's all questions. Oh, I feel Jan's pain through this. 
especially the grief side I can um I can really relate mm-hmm. to but ultimately I feel like we need the bad to make the good better mm-hmm. so the way that I I'm try I mean I'm look no way perfect at this but the way I'm trying to deal with grief heartache negative things the bad stuff in life is to try and approach them with gratitude because I think that it that's a great way to find the positive in a bad situation and I find that positive leads to positive and negative leads to negative So if you can try and find gratitude in a struggle, I find that that really helps me. Happy being a choice, that sounds really binary, doesn't it? Like, Mm. oh, I feel so sad. Just choose to be happy. Mm. And of course, no, it's not that simple. But I think that there is work to be done to increase your levels of happiness. I think there are tools that you can use and skills that you can own to increase your levels of happiness. And I would recommend books, surprisingly, Mm -hmm. Um, books and podcasts. One of the books that I would strongly recommend for you, Jan, is one by Cheryl Strayed, and it's called Tiny Beautiful Things. It is a beautiful book that talks about all the heartaches of of life. Cheryl Strayed was a an agony aunt for the New York Times and the book is a publication of her very best pieces. It's really, really good. It had me, I don't really cry at books and it had me crying by page 30. I was blubbing like a baby. And the other book that I would recommend, or even you could listen to the audiobook of this, it's one that I've been listening to recently is called Happy and it's by Fern Cotton. Uh, she has a really good podcast as well. And both of those books, I think, would give you some tools that you would find incredibly helpful. But as a starting point, I think gratitude is the key to joy, even when it comes to those horrendous times. And I understand how difficult that might sound. Mm. I think... With the second part of the question about boxing it up and moving on, I don't think that's actually possible. You can you can box something up and put it on the shelf, but it's still there. And one day you're going to open up the wardrobe and it's going to fall on top of you. And that that's something that I'm finding myself that there were experiences in my teenage years that I very much did box up and completely just put aside in my mind and then something happens and it's a lot to do with this process of being in your own business that really brings up stuff for you but that it suddenly does literally just all come falling in on top of you and then you've got to cope with it all over again whereas actually learning to live alongside it a little bit and to not have it be a monster in your life that it can start to yeah if you can take the monstrosity out of it and learn how it can, you can coexist with it a little bit, you will start then to be, it will get fainter and fainter in your life. And yet, and then and putting yourself in the way of happiness, oh, I, like I that. guess. So it's not a choice, but it, it, what is a choice is how you decide to do things. So there might be something where you, your first instinct is, I don't want to do that, but then actually 
challenge yourself to think but is that am I taking myself out of the way of happiness there if I actually just stand there and let it happen to me is it going to have some good benefits for me and I think also not feeling guilty about feeling happy which I know a lot of us do for various different reasons and particularly with grief that it's allowed to have those light moments so that in the, in the dark as just said illuminates the light what do you think anything else to say no I really like what you said just going you know going back to the things that have caused grief and heartache I think that we're made up of all different experiences in life and we don't always get to choose what they are but they are what they are and accepting them I think is quite freeing Mm. in that it enables you to make the best of of what you've got Mm. um and that's that links back to Cheryl Strayed again because one of her quotes is play the hell out of the cards that you've got Mm. yeah I think that when you say acceptance, that is really key because when I'm saying learn to live along alongside the things, it's it's accepting that they exist. It's not a kind of holding on to it, kind of gripping on and, and being like with your face in the wind tunnel, but it's also not putting it away and pretending that it doesn't exist because neither of those two things are acceptance. It's just mm. this is something that's happened and it and it just bobs along in my life. You know, it's it's the neighbour who's probably a little bit annoying next door but you just accept that they're fine and actually they're not as bad as they could be. And, you know, you one day you're going to grow up and move away from each other, but for now you just coexist. I think a little bit of self-reflection about what actually is happiness to you, especially maybe that's changed from what it was before. And so how can you put yourself in the way of this new kind of happiness and allow yourself through some self-reflection whether that's journaling whether it's meditating of letting yourself know that you deserve that new and and accepting again that it might be a new type of happiness but that you do deserve it absolutely i hope that that helps jan yeah me too jan good luck and if you have a question because i realized i forgot to mention this on our last couple that you can email us at thelittlechapters at gmail.com so send any questions that you have to the inbox there and we'll pick it up thank you for joining us for this episode of the little chapters we really hope that you enjoyed this episode and found it inspirational and perhaps a little bit galvanizing too if you have a friend who you think would really benefit from this conversation please do send them the link to the episode yeah we want to reach as many people as possible and hopefully build up a bit of a community around the podcast as well so if you can think of anyone who might benefit from this episode please please share it with them and if you could leave us a review and a rating in itunes as well that will help to boost us and help other people find us thank you so much and we'll see you soon bye bye